So tonight we're going to continue in our holiness series. And a minute ago I was in the sound booth and I was getting ready, you know, to come up here. They hadn't started the countdown yet. And I did that number. And does anybody notice anything? It's not a good sign. <laughs> Whenever I go to check the clock and there's nothing there. Uh, I forgot to wear my watch. You gonna let me borrow your watch? Um, I'll tell you what. People sure are giving whenever the preacher doesn't have a watch. They'd be very giving to give him a watch. And everybody's going to line their phones up along the front pew tonight. I do have a phone, and I'm aware of what time that it is. But that just kind of cracked me up a little bit ago. And the reason why I laugh about that is I have been asked, with us being a little bit of a time crunch, depending on if everything goes smooth with the cell of the building, if everything continues to go smooth, we're in a little bit of a time crunch to get through our series on Wednesday nights with it being holidays and all this. So I have been tasked with two topics tonight. And so that's why I left this bad boy at home. Because um, I've got two different topics to, color, uh, to cover tonight. And I'm joking. I'll, I mean, I do have like 10 pages of notes, and that's not an exaggeration. Um, but we'll get there. We'll, we're going to make it, okay? We're going to make it. Everybody say holiness. This is part four of our holiness series, and uh, my topics tonight are the tongue and the eye. We're going to talk tonight about what we say and what we see. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, this has been the passage we've started out with throughout this whole series. Our topic in this series is bought with a price. What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Everybody say bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's or which belong to God. Amen. We are bought with a price. And then a uh, focus verse for tonight is 1 Peter 1 and 15. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. We are commanded to live a holy life in a way that affects every part or all manner of our conversation or of our lifestyle, and that's a non-negotiable to God. So tonight I'm going to talk about what we say. Everybody say what we say. Everybody say what we see. I'm going to start with what we say. We're going to talk about uh, the tongue. In James chapter 3, Andrew, I'm springing a few on you, but if you'll get this one pulled up, that'd be great. James chapter 3, uh, verses 3 through 12. I'm going to be reading out of the New King James Version. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the significance of the tongue in Scripture. The title in my Bible says, The Untamable Tongue. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. It doesn't take but one little match to burn a great forest, and that's how it is with the tongue. Just a couple of words can hurt for years, for the rest of someone's life. Just a couple of sentences, just one or two words. Um, even a forest can be burned by a little fire. And the tongue, the Bible says in verse 6, is a fire, a world of iniquity. 
The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. It's pretty strong words. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man, no man alone, no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree bear olives or grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water, salt, salt water excuse me, and fresh water. <laughs> the British the British is coming out, I guess. No spring yields both salt water and fresh water. Who is wise and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. And many times in the New Testament, when you see the word conversation, it's not talking about just carrying on a conversation, talking like this. It's talking about your manner of conversation or your man manner of life, how we live. And how we talk is a lot of how we live. So we'll kind of use those words a little bit interchangeably here, but conversation goes a whole lot further than just what we say. But tonight we are focused on that part of our conversation. And James was very focused on um, how we speak and the, the importance of the things that we speak and the power that is in our tongue. He said, as ships, these large, anybody ever been on a cruise ship or on an ocean liner? Those huge ships, he said they're turned about with just a little rudder. It's pretty amazing. And the horses, they're turned about by a bit that's put in their mouth. And he said, even so, that's how it is with our tongue, that our tongue can burn down a forest. Just our tongue. So he's focused on this subject of the tongue and taming the tongue. The tongue. And in James chapter 1, uh, verse 26, we were in James 3. If we back up to James chapter 1, um, he said, and this is a scripture that has always jumped out to me. He said, if any man among you seems to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Those are pretty strong words. It doesn't matter how many poor people you feed. It doesn't matter how many messages you preach. It doesn't matter how much you read your Bible. Yeah. Now, if we're reading our Bible and praying, hopefully there's not, we're not going to be spewing words that will harm others, right? Hopefully. You know, if we're putting the right things in, the right things are going to come out. But what he said there is if any man claims to be religious and can't control his tongue, his religion and all the efforts that, the quote-unquote efforts that he makes, he said all of it's vain, all of it's for nothing, all of it's useless if he can't control his tongue. Pretty powerful words. Because we just read where he said that that man can't control the tongue. And so how does that make sense? I'll tell you how it makes sense. Man alone cannot control the tongue. I need God's help to control my tongue. Amen? I need to be in tune with the Spirit of God to be able to control my tongue. I need to have the heart, a heart that's after God's heart in order to be able to tame this tongue, which is full of fire, which the Bible says is set on fire of hell itself. So it's hard to overstate the significance 
of the tongue in Scripture. Just a few main points here. The tongue is an unruly member of our body, impossible to tame without God's help. Number two, it's a test of true religion, because if a person cannot control their tongue, their religion is in vain. Number three, the tongue reveals the condition of the heart, because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the things that we say reveal what's truly in our heart. Amen? Anybody ever said anything and you were surprised that that came out of you? It's because there's a source that provides the words that come out of our mouth. And so if we're putting the right things into our heart, we might be surprised in a good way, the things that come out, if that makes sense. God, number four, God chose to give the gift of the Holy Ghost with the initial sign of speaking in other tongues. It's pretty amazing when you really think about it, because I've talked about all the negative things about the tongue and how it's hard to control and all these kind of things. But the way that we know someone has initially received the gift of the Holy Ghost is when God takes over control of their tongue. He chose the tongue to be the initial sign that someone has received the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's pretty amazing. He chose the most unruly member of our body to be the signal that somebody's received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Whenever someone is yielded to him, he begins to, to speak through that person. That person begins to speak in other tongues, tongues that they did not learn. Amen? Amen. Because God takes control of the tongue. Let's talk about some of the sins of the tongue. First, we'll talk about tailbearing or gossip. Tailbearing or gossip, backbiting, speaking evil or mean things about someone, slander, false or unverified rumors that defame someone. Do you know that even telling the truth can be bad when it comes to gossip? Somebody can truly do something that's really bad, and you can be telling the truth about what really happened, but you're running somebody down while doing it. Even telling the truth can be gossiping. Something can be true, and it can be juicy information. But that does not mean it's okay to share it. Amen? Amen? Well, I wasn't lying. I was telling the truth. Yeah, but you were in somebody else's business. Gossiping. And I like this statement here. If we are not part of the problem or solution, we probably don't need to be talking about it. If we're not part of the problem or solution, we probably don't need to be talking about it. Psalm 101 and 5, the psalmist said, I will not tolerate people who slander their neighbors. And pastor, it wasn't even that long ago, and he's made comment more than once about how if somebody begins to run down the church or run down somebody else. He's made multiple comments, if you remember, even pretty recently where he said, if somebody begins to talk to me like that, I need to make a point that I stand up and that I make a statement. Hey, don't talk like that around me. And the psalmist here said, I will not tolerate people who slander their neighbors. I will not endure conceit and pride. Proverbs 11, 12 through 13 says, it's foolish to belittle one's neighbor. A sensible person keeps quiet. It's hard to sin when you're listening, but it's easy to sin when you're talking. God gave us two ears and one mouth, right? You learn something new when you listen. When you talk, you're just saying what you already know. But when we listen, I don't know how I got off talking about the ears. We're not talking about the ears tonight, but this is very tied together, though. Many times, we're too busy talking to hear, 
And the things we're saying, we shouldn't be saying in the first place. It's foolish to belittle one's neighbor. A sensible person keeps quiet. A gossip goes around telling secrets. But those who are trustworthy can keep a confidence. Anybody know somebody that you don't want to tell a secret to? Don't, don't, don't say their name out loud. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? Are any of you that person? I'm, I'm kidding. Don't, don't raise your hand. I'm joking. But a gossip goes around telling secrets, but those who are trustworthy can keep a confidence. Proverbs 26, you might want to find this from Brother Andrew. Uh, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, though. Proverbs 26, 18. Just as damaging as a madman shooting a deadly weapon. That's what the New Living Translation says. Just as damaging as a madman shooting a deadly weapon is someone who lies to a friend and then says, I was only joking. Fire goes out without wood. And quarrels disappear when gossip stops. Where no wood is, the fire goes out. So where there's no gossip or no talebearer, the strife ceases. Many times, situations continue because people won't just stop talking about it. Am I telling the truth? A quarrelsome person starts fights as easily as hot embers light charcoal or fire lights wood. Rumors are dainty morsels that sink deep into someone's heart. Smooth words may hide a wicked heart just as a pretty glaze covers a clay pot. People may cover their hatred with pleasant words, but they're deceiving you. That's a lot to think about, isn't it? I got to move on. I could get, I could get stuck here because there's so much here to talk about. Let's move on to sowing discord, another sin of the tongue or that can be committed by the tongue. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says this, these six things the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Those things are put right there together. A murderer, a lying tongue, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. So like three out of the seven had to do with something that is being spoken. The Lord hates seven things. Three of them have something to do with something being spoken. So it's so important that we guard what comes out of our mouth. Sowing discord. And this is something that pastors hit on recently when he was making some of those comments about people making comments and you have to put a stop to it. The Lord hates one who sows discord and division. And man, that, I hate to even say that. You know, the Lord hates something or someone. But it says, he hates one who sows discord among brethren. With the tongue, we either unify or we divide. It's really one of two things that's happened, and it's hard to be neutral. Does that make sense? It's hard to be neutral. We either unify or we divide. And sometimes it's best just to be quiet. Number three. Taking the Lord's name in vain. Exodus 20 and 7, one of the Ten Commandments, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. We are all to avoid vain, irreverent, profane, and trivial uses of the name or of the title of God. Amen? His name is to be reserved for use in prayer, praise, or serious discussion. 
it's not wise to use slang substitutes. I remember Brother John Dean sharing a story. He was at a basketball game, and he was watching a family member or somebody, and this man kept getting upset with what was happening and kept saying, Jesus, Jesus, every time something went wrong in the game. And he was using the name of the Lord in vain in a negative way, and I hope you forgive me for even using it in an illustration in the way that I am. But Brother Dean went up to this man at this ball game, and he said, Sir, I'm going to just ask very nicely if you could please stop using the name of Jesus that way because you're talking about my friend. That's, that's Brother Dean's words. He said, don't talk about my friend that way. But it's so true that, that in our world, hopefully not in the church, uh, people have gotten way too comfortable with using the name of the Lord in a, in a way like that, slang demeanor. God or Jesus and all these different substitutes for God or Jesus. Um, I, I've heard a long time ago when I was a kid, and you know, all of us can approach this however we want to approach this, but if you're substituting words for, those, for, for the name of the Lord in vain, if you're using a phrase that is usually God or Jesus being inserted in there or Lord being inserted in there, if you're using that phrase but you're inserting other slang terms, you might as well just be saying it. That's what I was taught as a kid. I don't know if you all agree with that or not. We have to be careful about using slang terminology, though, and about just the attitude that comes with saying words that we really shouldn't probably be saying. Whenever I was young playing basketball, I remember one of my favorite things to say was shoot. And it wasn't because I was shooting the basketball. When something didn't go my way, I'd say shoot. And you know, that's really not a good thing to be saying. For one, what if somebody just misunderstands me, right? Here I am supposed to be this Christian young man, and they misunderstood me and thought I said something else. Our words are so important. That's just on the ground level of it. What if they think I said something else? But it just goes so much deeper than that. Where are these things coming from? They come out of our heart. We have to guard what we say. And by doing, it all starts with guarding our heart, amen? amen. I'm trying to move fast here because I've got a lot to cover, but I hope that this is making sense tonight. This is a very simple message, very simple lesson, but I feel like there's some things in here that if, if we'll really dig in here together for the next little bit, the Lord's going to help us in, in our speech and in our uh, eyesight. We'll get there in a minute. Filthy communication, obscene, dirty, vulgar, or suggestive language. And I want to read a few scriptures here. You don't have to follow me, Brother Andrew, but I'm just going to read a few scriptures here to kind of hammer this point home about our speech. Ephesians 3, 8 through 9 says, now you yourselves are to put off all of these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 through 32, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. That's a challenge right there. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. That, I need God's help to not let any corrupt word come out of my mouth. I can't do that on my own. I need his help. But what is good and necessary, edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you 
with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And you can read all of these that I'm reading, Ephesians 3, 4, and 5, I'm reading from here. Now, to move to Ephesians 5, therefore be imitators of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be named, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. And he continues, he says, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting or suggestive jokes, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Amen. If we had time tonight, we could continue to expound on the sins of the tongue, and we could continue to go into things like cursing others, expressing hatred, reviling, insulting, abusive, harsh language, blasphemy, lying, foolish talk, idle talk, and name-calling. We could go on and on and on about how the words that we speak, we've got to be very careful about what comes out of our mouth because the, the tongue is a fire. The tongue can burn a whole forest down. We've got to be careful about what we say. Because, and I've talked a lot of negative things, but let me just talk positive for a moment. The same way that a few words can tear down, a few words can build up. The same way that a few words can burn down a forest, a few words can plant a forest. Does that make sense? We sow seeds by the words that we say. We really sow seeds. You will never know the impact of your words completely, negative or positively. We won't really know. But how many of you could tell a story of how somebody said something to you one time and it either hurt you or it encouraged you? And you still remember that, even though they probably don't. Does that make sense? There's a very good chance that you've said things to people that encourage them and that they hold on to those words that you spoke and you don't even remember but they'll never forget. I know that there are moments in my life I can point back to where somebody said something to me that was just invaluable in how much it helped me. And I hold on to their words, but yet they probably don't even remember saying those words. I hope you guys get what I'm saying here. It's so important that we put a little thought into the things that we say. Think before you speak. We've heard that our whole life, but it's so true. So as I transition um, here, Psalm 141 and 3, it says, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. That'd be a great prayer to pray every morning, wouldn't it? Lord, keep the door of my lips. Lord, help me not say anything dumb today. I've prayed that prayer before getting up here to preach. <laughs> Y'all think I'm joking. I've done that many times. I've done that on my way to the pulpit under my breath. Lord, don't let me say anything dumb. Because Drew's going to get it on video. It's going to be on Facebook. Everybody's going to see it. I knew I'd get an amen on that one. Just one amen, right? Because <laughs> he's over there thinking, what has he said tonight? I can... And I'm sure you've already caught a few things. There's no doubt about it. The psalmist understood that he could not control his tongue without the help of God. And we must realize the same thing and pray as he did. Set a watch over my mouth. So we need to think before we speak. But let me transition to talking about our eyes, the lust of the eyes. We're going to talk about that for a little bit. So we need to think before we speak. 
But do you know that you can't think before you see? Because sight triggers thought. So that's where we'll transition to the things that we see. Because we can think before we say something, but many times we see things before we have a chance to really think about them, and then it triggers the thoughts. All right, and that's where we're going to go. Matthew 6, 22 through 23. I'll let you get there. Brother Andrew, I'm sorry to do this to you. Matthew 6, 22 through 23. I'm aware of the time, but I'm just now starting part two of part four. This is part four of the Holiness series, and this is my second title tonight. We're talking about the things we see. This is, we'll just make it part five. How about that? This is technically probably part five. The light of the body is the eye. And this is Jesus speaking, by the way. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I want to read that out of the New Living Translation just to kind of really focus in on this verse of Scripture when Jesus is speaking. He said, your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light, your eyes, if the light that you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. As I was preparing for tonight, I got just a whole new, you switched to part five, that'll work. We'll go with that. A whole new just respect for how important it is that we grasp these two things that I'm talking about tonight, the power of the tongue and the power of our eyes. We're going to talk about it. All sin can be boiled down to three categories. All that is in the world, the Bible says, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of the life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And I've heard David Bernard say it many times, all sin can be boiled down to one of those three categories, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. All sin, you name a sin, it falls into one of those three categories, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. And Jesus lays it out so plainly here when he talks about that the lamp of the body is the eye. The eye is the gate of our soul. The eye is the gate of our soul. And I want you to hear me here. Through the eye, perceptions are made, thoughts are provoked, and emotions are stirred when we see things. We must pay careful attention to what we willingly set before our eyes because we see many things by accident. Do you know that you cannot unsee something? Your mind just went straight to, to some things, probably. <laughs> probably people of Walmart. If you, just don't even Google that. Bad idea. There are some things you just can't, un, well, anything, you just can't unsee. Does that make sense? But when we see things, you know what happens? It triggers thoughts. It triggers thoughts. The eye is the gate of the soul. We see enough without, without even trying to see it. So we got to be careful what we willingly set before our eyes because there's already enough evil that is set before our eyes. There's already enough wickedness that's set before our eyes. We already can't help but see negativity and sin. Does that make sense? 
It's, it's all around us. So we add to it when we willingly set things before our eyes that should not be in front of us. We don't have to look very hard to see things that are unrighteous, so we've got to be intentional about guarding our eyes. In Psalm 101, verse 3, the psalmist made a covenant with his eyes. He said, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. And I don't want to get too deep off into this, but I'll just say this. I'm not preaching against the TV box tonight. Okay? I'm not preaching against the computer screen, like the physical object. Okay? not preaching against the physical object of a TV or a computer or a, or a magazine or whatever the, the physical object is. It's all about the content. That it always has been. Some people took it too far and began to preach against objects. It's all about the content. It's all about the content. If it's bringing things into your life that you should not have in your life and I should not have in my life, it needs to go. The psalmist said, I will choose to set no wicked thing before my eye. Whatever that may be, as far as the object goes, that content that it is delivering to my soul when it goes through my eye, I'm going to choose to guard my eyes. Does that make sense? We have to make that declaration, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Psalm 119, 37, he asked God to turn his eyes away from vanity. Vanity refers to anything that is worthless, foolish, or empty. He said, God, help me to turn my eyes away from vanity. Help me to get my eyes set on the right thing and not set wicked things before my eye. The eye is the primary source of external information. The eye is the primary source of external information. The eye is the primary stimulant for our thoughts. Psychologists have verified that 90% of our thought life is stimulated by what we see. 90% of what we think is stimulated by things that we see. We're going to do a little example here. Brother Andrew's going to help me out. I've asked him to leave these on the screen no longer than like 10 seconds or so. Go for it. So just some few, a few images up on the screen for no random purpose, or sorry, they're random pictures. They serve a purpose in this message, but just random pictures that when you saw those pictures, as random as they were, something went through your mind just at the sight of those pictures, just randomly, if you were paying attention. Um, but the eye is the primary stimulant for our thoughts. The eye is the primary tool for remembering. Experiments show that the mind retains 65% of what it sees and hears simultaneously, but only 15% of what it hears alone. It makes me want to like have a drawing pad every time I tell my kids to do something, to illustrate it, and tell them at the same time as showing them if they're going to retain 65. I wonder what the statistic is for a five-year-old on that or a two-year-old. If they see it and hear it at the same time, do they remember it better? Probably, I would say, actually, we need to probably do that. It would be a good idea. 
if nobody else got anything out of this message tonight, I just did. How about that? 65% of what we see and hear at the same time, but only 15% of what we hear alone is retained. There are, there's, I actually was speaking um, a similar message about what we see in youth chapel about three years ago, and I asked my wife this afternoon or yesterday, I asked her if she remembered any of the images that I threw up on the screen. Three years ago on a random Wednesday night message, and she remembered. That's how powerful our eyesight is. That's pretty powerful, y'all. Three years ago, she hadn't thought another thing about it, but when I asked her, she knew immediately. Random images, just not even the same images as tonight. So that shows the power of it. Now think about it a little bit further. If that's the power of one image, you know that a video is image after image after image after image after image after image. Think about a three-hour film or an hour-and-a-half film or however long the actual... Think about how long or how many images that you're taking in in one movie, in one TV show, how many things that you're taking in. And our mind is just like almost limitless in how much it can process and retain. And remember, it's really amazing. And that's why it's so important that as much as we can to our ability... We need to control what goes through our eyes into our heart, into our soul, into our being. Because there are things we can't control that we see and we weren't prepared to see or that we witness and we didn't have a choice, right? But when we see something, we can't unsee it and it triggers thoughts and it takes us down a road where that's part of our life from then on because we have this thing called a mind, and, and the way that our eyes and our mind work together, it's, it's really powerful how God created us to have such an amazing memory bank that we have. Some of you are like, I can't remember anything. Anybody get what I'm saying here in this, this moment? I'm, I'm trying to communicate to us how important it is that we guard what we see as much as possible because it's going in there and it's staying in there. And that's so important for young people and for kids because once we're exposed to things, you can't just be unexposed to things. You've been exposed to, to something. So you have to then go from there and learn how to deal with it, learn how to overcome it, learn how whatever it may be. Does that make sense? Amen. So we, we've got to guard our eyes as much as we possibly can. These factors make the lust of the eyes a major source of temptation. Genesis 3 and 6 says that when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired or to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. When David saw Bathsheba, it was the first step that led him down a sinful road. Sin typically begins with the eye. Sin typically begins with the eyes. And then it's developed in our mind. Because the things that we think, 90% of the time, according to those statistics, 90% of the time the things that we think are triggered by things that we've seen. That's why it's so important we know what our kids are watching. And I'm preaching to myself too, because they can go down this little click trail on an iPad or something and no telling what they might end up with in the world we live in. They could be watching something that we think is wholesome, but we need to be listening to what that is because we've heard some things on Blue's Clues and some of these shows that I don't want in my household, if I'm being honest. Anybody with me? I'm, just, I'm being transparent. Is that okay? 
we've literally heard stuff on shows that we told her it was okay for her to watch. And we were like, hold on, you can't watch that anymore. I'm sorry. Because we've got to guard that entrance to our soul. Because the eye is the lamp of our whole body. And if that eye is full of darkness, the whole body will be full of darkness. So when Eve saw that the tree was good for food, when David saw Bathsheba, it was the first step. Sin begins with the eye, typically. It's developed in the mind, and then it's acted upon by the body. Satan knows that the mind is most easily reached through the eye. Therefore, he will do everything that he possibly can to bring temptations before our eyes. Through the eye, suggestions can be brought to our mind that we had not previously thought about. These thoughts can then become embedded in our minds so that they can return to tempt us when we're weak or discouraged or bored. If they are thought about long enough, they will be acted upon. But it all started with something we saw that provoked thought. And the more you think or the more you see of it, it, it can lead to action. What we take in through our eyes leaves a permanent imprint on our minds. So, Andrew, do not throw anything up on the screen, please. But I ask tonight, does anybody remember what was in the first picture that was put on the screen? What was on the bridge? He was looking up. If you could really see in closer, he was holding like a camera or something, taking a picture uh, up, up above. What was the second picture? Such as what? What random household things? Anybody remember anything? What about the third picture? Computer screen that said do more. Sister Tina, I think you're on the fourth picture. What was the fourth picture? Anybody remember anything else? I did not even ask you guys to remember any of those details, but if we went on, we could talk and talk and talk about all the details from those few images. Not only that, we could talk about things that those images made us think about. When we saw that office, we might have thought, man, I wish I had that view in my office. Oh, I need to go buy a new rug for my office. Oh, I think I want a blue rug. And then I have to get a chair and... and Y'all see how it works? Y'all know how it works. This is a real simple lesson tonight. Isn't that amazing? We could sit here and literally talk for hours just based on that as a starting point, just the random things and what it makes us think about. That's how important that what we see is. That's why we've got to guard what we put into our life willingly. I hope you understand what I mean whenever I say that. The psalmist had it down pat. He said, I will choose to not put evil things in front of my eyes. That's about as plain as it gets. That's a declaration of a person that's committed to living a holy life. I will not watch things that are unholy. I will not fill my life full of, I will not, set these things before my eyes and call them entertainment. That's why we got to be careful what we take in. Matthew 18 and 9, I'm going to come to a close in a minute. Or five. Matthew 18 and 9, Jesus said, if our eye offends us, it would be better for us to pluck it out and enter heaven with one eye than to enter hell with two. 
I heard this statement a long time ago, and it's so true, and I used it in youth service so many times. Little things sneak in and unlock the door so that big things can come in. It's crucial that we guard ourselves against little things. Well, Brother Austin, it's not, it's not that big of a deal. What you're talking about tonight, it's, it's not a problem for me. It's not, it's not going to affect me at all. Little things come in so they open the door to bigger things. Amen. I heard this so many times growing up in youth class. Watch your thoughts. Anybody ever heard this statement? Watch your thoughts, for they become words. Anybody ever heard that? Watch your thoughts, for they become words. Watch your words. Back to part four of this. Watch your words, for they become actions. Watch your actions, for they become habits. Watch your habits, for they become character. Watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. Thoughts, words, actions, habits, character, destiny. And I'll end with this, because that old saying starts with watch your thoughts. But most of the time, your thoughts are triggered by what? What you see. So be careful, little eyes, what you see, because they trigger your thoughts, which trigger your words, your actions, your habits, your character, your destiny. What we see makes such a big difference in our lives. I, I didn't get into just a whole lot of specifics tonight. I feel like having two lessons to cover, it was a lot to cover tonight. But I could obviously start throwing things out there. But I think we all kind of have understanding of things that we should not be partaking in. We all kind of have a general understanding of things we shouldn't be saying. It doesn't have to be a cuss word to be something that we shouldn't say. I hope you guys got what I said there. It doesn't have to be something that, that is bad for everyone to be something that you shouldn't say. There are things that may be okay for somebody else to say that I shouldn't say because it comes out of me with a different spirit altogether, and I just got to guard my spirit that I'm living with. Does that make sense? Let's stand together tonight. I know this was super basic, and it was intended to be a very basic lesson tonight on holiness, but there's not a whole lot more important subject we could talk about than the tongue and the eye. James said, does a, does a spring put forth bitter water and fresh water at the same place? These things ought not to be. And now more than ever before, Sanctuary Church, uh, as individuals and as a church, we've got to make sure that we're taking a stand for holiness, taking a stand for righteousness, living a holy and a godly life, and being an example. When we move over on Rook Road and all those eyes are on, are on, are on us, whenever we tell somebody, hey, I go to that new church over there, we've got, we got to guard the things that we say. We've got to guard our conversation and make sure that we're carrying on a wholesome conversation and being the type of person that God has called us to be so that we can be a light to the world. Amen? Amen? So we can be a light to our city. I hope that this tonight has helped somebody. It's helped me tonight. I learned how to deal with my kids and get them to listen to me. So, I mean, amen. Can we just get focused on the Lord just for a moment as we end this service? I don't know about you, but all these practical things I've talked about tonight, I need God's help. I need him to help me. Because sometimes words just about slip out of my mouth that are not good things to say. Anybody else with me on that? And I, I'm not talking, like I said, I'm not talking about cuss words. Y'all know what I'm talking about. We can get 
we can get to the place where we almost say things we shouldn't say, and then if we're not careful, we'll see things that, that we shouldn't see, that whether we chose to see it or we didn't choose to see it, it just kind of appeared, right? And it begins to trigger thoughts. We can't do this on our own. We need God to help us because we are earthly people. We, we are born into sin. Sin's all around us. I need God's help. So if you need God's help like I need God's help, can we just look to heaven right now, raise our hands all over this place and tell him, God, I need your help in these areas. God, I can't make it on my own. I need you to help me to have wisdom with the words that I speak, the things that I say, God. Help me, Lord, to know when to speak and when not to speak. Help me, Lord, to know what to say and what not to say. Give me wisdom with the words that I speak, and God, help me when it comes to the lust of the eyes. Help me, God, though I can't always control what I see because sometimes we see things without wanting to see them. God, I'm going to do everything in my power to control those things that I can control. And God, I'm going to trust you to help me in every area of my life. God, help me to live a holy life. Help me, Lord, to be holy in all manner of conversation because you said to be holy for you are holy. And God, it's our desire to follow you in holiness. God, inward and outward holiness, God. It's our desire to be a holy people. God, not to be hypocrites, but God, that we would not uh, bring forth bitter water and fresh water, but Lord, that we would just pursue you with all of our heart, God, and be the people that you've called us to be. Help us today, we ask in Jesus' name. Everybody say in Jesus' name. If you need God's help, would you clap your hands to the Lord? Just give him praise. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness.